0: himself, but it's not because she's not a faithful person or that she's not an example for us as Christians. In fact, I find Sarah to be one of the most encouraging characters in all of Scripture because what we see in Sarah as we read of the account and the narrative of her in in Genesis, which we'll be looking at in, in detail this morning, one thing that stands out is her failures but the final analysis of Sarah is that she was a woman of faith. Despite her failures, despite her doubts, despite her sinfulness, we see that the Lord upholds her as one, as an example, not only for women, but for men as well, as an example of faith. So let us hear the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And this is the word of the Lord, and may he bless the reading of it. And so we begin by asking the question, who is it is that is mentioned in this text that believed that was a person of faith, and it says that Sarah herself. Now, I just want to point out there, there, there's some controversy over this text. Uh, Hebrews is not short of controversy, as we've seen. There's been a few translations and some that have even interpreted this passage as if it's actually not referring to the faith of Sarah, but it's referring to the faith of Abraham. And if you've heard that, let me just, or if you have a translation that even states that, let me just say that. I think that's, that's the wrong view of this passage. This is speaking and upholding the faith of Sarah, not the faith of Abraham. And so you'll find in some translations that it will say, um, through Abraham, Sarah was able to conceive through Abraham's faith. No, that's not what this passage is saying. Sarah, in the original language and even here, is actually the subject of the passage. And so she herself is the one who is mentioned as being faithful. She was the woman of faith. She is the one that is the example of faith. She trusted in the promises of God and is lifted up by God in the New Testament as an example of faith. If you will, just for a moment, turn over to First Peter, so go right from Hebrews. We see that Sarah is an example for women of modesty, of true beauty, and even of marital submission. In First Peter chapter 3, in verse 3, we read these words. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart that with the imperishable beauty of gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, what's very fascinating about this passage here is Sarah was known in Scripture for her great beauty. Even into her elderly age, she was known and renowned for her beauty, but yet She is the example of an internal beauty, which is considered precious. Further, as we will see in the story, you sometimes see that it is her that's calling the shots between her and Abraham. But yet, the final analysis is that she actually submitted to her husband, as it says, even calling him Lord. And so she serves as an example for women, that's without doubt, but Hebrews tells us that she serves as an example for all people that are of faith. Now, Sarah was not her the name that she was born with, her name was Sarai, and if you just turn over to Genesis, we're going to be spending a lot of time in Genesis this morning, if you see this, her name was changed. It's given by God, just as Abraham's was. Abram was originally Abram. That was his birth name. But in in, in Genesis 17, 5, it says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So God changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, and then he changes uh, Sarah's name from Sarai to Sarah, and we see that in verse 15, same chapter. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. And so God changes their name. Abraham means a father of a multitude of people. Sarah means a princess. And she is given this name by God because God has chosen her. But we need to see how she's introduced in Scripture. And that begins in chapter 11 and verse 30. This is how she's introduced to the narrative And what you have to see in this narrative is it's a a historical account of what took place, but in the unfolding of the historical account, account, it's filled with all the good things of a good story would be filled with, where you have tension that's awaiting some sort of resolution, and as you're moving towards that resolution, it seems like that tension is not going to be relieved because it seems impossible. And as she's introduced to us, we see in verse 30, now Sarai was barren, she had no child. At this point in her life, when she is introduced into the story uh, and and into the pages of Scripture, she's already past the age of giving birth. And so the text just simply tells us that she is, is barren, and this becomes really the theme of the whole entire encounter of God with Abraham. Is that Abraham is promised something by God. But there's this problem is that, that naturally that promise cannot be fulfilled because Sarah is barren. And as the story progresses, and as we see, the, the, the unfolding of this account of Abraham and Sarah and their interaction with God. She is almost described as, as an impediment to Abraham. Almost as, as a problem to the story of finding fulfillment. And so as we look at this, we have to see how this unfolds. Because we see in the text of Hebrews that she believed. And what was it she believed? She believed God's promise. Hebrews says, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And so she has faith, despite the fact that we. her first introduction is she is barren, she's past the age of being able to have children, and yet we see that she's a woman of faith. From the time she's introduced The story unfolds over the course of 25 years. Sarai was not getting any younger over the course of those 25 years. Her her body was not changing younger, but was rather growing older and more frail. Abraham himself was 75 years old when the Lord called him, according to Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. And we read this. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So his wife, who is barren, who has no child, he's promised that, that God is going to make him into a great nation in chapter 12. He's 75 at this point. It seems like an impossible situation. He's not told how this will unfold, except for the fact that he will produce a nation. And that would come through his wife. And then in chapter 15, we see that he's promised children. In fact, we read this, and I want you to hear beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15. And these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now listen to what Abram says. But Abram said, O Lord, God, what, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. In other words, what will come from your loins is what it literally means, shall be your heir. He goes on to say, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He's promised a nation. And then when that doesn't come about, because he has no children, God again appears to him to say, no, you're going to have children. And he says, well, it must then be this servant of mine. You continually see through the story, by the way, that Abraham and Sarah both continually try to take things into their own hands to find a solution for God's promise. Now, Sarah knows this promise. Sarah is aware that of this promise as Abram repeats it to her, but she doesn't believe it will come by her. In fact, she has doubts of this. Abram has doubts that it will come from him, but he thinks it will be someone in his household. Sarai doesn't think it's going to come from her either. In fact, we see that in chapter 16. This is a crucial part of the story. Now Sarai... Abram's wife had borne him no children, and that's, that, that refrain, she was barren. Abraham says, I have no children, I have no child. Again, every time she's introduced, it comes back with this fact that she has no child. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And I want you to notice the rest of this phrase. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. It's interesting because the text had previously emphasized that Abram had been listening to the voice of the Lord. And the Lord had promised that, no, this this child will come from your house. But what do we see here? As Sarai doubts and starts to take matters into her own hands, as Sarai comes up with a plan, this this is how we're going to see nations come from you, is from, from our servant here. Notice what it says, Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Again, we don't see the the greatest picture of Sarai here. Not only does she begin to take matters into her own hands, she's now usurping her Husband's authority, and Abram doesn't, doesn't stand up and say, no, the Lord has promised us a child. Let us be faithful and not do this wicked deed. But rather, he gives in. And so I think it's, it's noteworthy here in these passages that what we see is this mixture of not only trust, but also doubt. And that marks the life of Abraham and Sarah from the moment they're called until the fulfillment of the promise. Is a mixture of trust, a mixture of faith, mixed in with doubt, with trying to do things according to their own means, rather than just simply following and trusting in God's word. And it's really counter to what we would see in Hebrews. In fact, when you read Hebrews chapter 11, I'm thankful that it tells us about Samson being faithful. Because if it wasn't for the Hebrews, I wouldn't think he was. When you read of the account of Sarah, it's hard to see how she was faithful at all times. But the final analysis is that she was a woman of faith. And so twice now we have seen where both Abraham and Sarah, they try to find fulfillment of the process or, or the promise through their own means. This is how it will logically work. And so after these two times of failing, in chapter 17, God appears to Abraham. Now he's 99 years old. So it's in segments of, of about 10 years each time. And God promises him with these words. i just just give you a, a brief statement of some of these phrases. You will be exceedingly fruitful. Nations will come from you. Kings will come from you. You will have offspring. Those born in your house. The Lord is reassuring to him by covenant that you are going to have children. Then we come to verse 15 of chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples, shall come from her. And so in the text now, it's, it's specifically stated, not only will you have children, but these children will come from Sarah. Sarah. In verse 17, listen to Abraham's response. Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. In verse 21, But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Yeah. So God not only promises that a child will come from Abraham, it will not be a child according to Abraham's means, but it will be a miraculous, supernatural birth of a child. And it's, it's amazing that, that God promises not only that a child will come, that it will be a male, and that his name will be Isaac. And Scripture teaches us that by faith, she received power to conceive. So it was by faith that she's able to have a child. What God had promised to Abraham, what God has promised to Sarah, she by faith trusts in the word of the Lord. But when you read the story in Genesis, neither Sarah nor Abraham are painted in a way in which it seems like that they just had no reservations about this promise. And can you blame them? What were the difficulties of their belief? Well, she's 90 years old. This is presented as an obvious obstacle. We understand that 90-year-olds do not have children. In fact, when you get to chapter 18, verse 11, Now Abraham and Sarah were old. Why does it tell us that they were old? We already know that. It's to emphasize the fact of their age, which would prevent them from having children. They were advanced in years, as if we didn't get it with old. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? her age is presented not just as a hurdle, but as an impossibility. I was curious, what is the oldest recorded birth outside of Scripture? It was 73, and then 74 when she gave birth in India, but here's the interesting thing about this. It, was, it wasn't through natural means. It was through infertilization, in vitro infer- fertilization, And she had to have a C-section because her body could not have done that on its own. Now, you add 20 years to the story, and you remove all of the mod- modern technology. This, this woman in India was basically a shell, But that's not what's presented here of Sarai. Not only does it say that she's 90 years old, but how was she introduced to us in Scripture? In Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, it says she was barren. Now, there's there's no medical reason given for that. It means she was infertile. She did not have the ability. Romans chapter 4, verse 19 uses the word barren as well in the ESV translation, but it literally means that her womb was dead. So you have to look at this. Is that there's the age factor. There's the factor that also that even when she was of age to have children, she couldn't have children. That is, that is the mark of her life. And so God takes Abraham, he takes Sarah, and and promises to these people at the age of their 70s, I'm going to give you children, go into this land that you're going to be able to have children in, and nations and kings and offspring will come to you, and they wait 25 years. And then the Lord appears again and says, you're going to have a child. Sarah laughs. In fact, we just read in chapter 18 that she laughed. It goes on to say this, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Now we already read that Abraham laughed. And then we read that Sarah laughed. And most commentators know that her her laughing here is a, is a different type of, of laugh. This is a laugh of mocking. And so the Lord responds, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you, you did laugh. I want you to put this in, in the category here of difficulties of her faith. Because she has to act upon the promise. So what's the impediments to her faith? Her age, the fact that she's always been barren. And the other thing is that she has doubt about the Lord. And what's amazing about this is not only does she doubt the Lord to the, in the Lord's very presence, if you read chapter 18, you'll, you'll note that that's a, what we would call a theophany, a visible manifestation of the Lord's presence. She lies then to the Lord. Now, I want to emphasize this. She doubts the Lord in his very presence, and then she lies to the Lord in the Lord's very presence. Let that sink in for a moment. But it tells us this in Hebrews, by faith she received power to conceive. And so this is a passive reception. And here's where we begin to see the, 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 the nature of, of true faith is that it actually contributes nothing to God's promises. It is simply resting in God. And the faithful person is passively receiving God's grace. Sarah had to act upon the promise. Abraham had to act upon the promise when the promise seemed impossible and they were past the age of acting upon the promise. What does she receive? Not only does she have a child, but what we have to do is think of this in light of what we know about her age is she receives a restoration of her body. It's not just as if her body is able to now function in a way where she can have a child, but she has to have a restoration of her body itself. It's incredible that whatever the lifelong physical malady that she had, was taken away, but there's a restoration of her actual youth. To be able to bear a child, to walk around as a pregnant woman. It's not easy when you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s. It's definitely not easy when you're in your 90s. So you think about what the Lord does for her. This this is a full miracle in the sense that every aspect that comes with pregnancy is restored to her and this is 25 years after the promise is given and and conceivably more more than than 50 maybe you know 70 years of of disappointments of not having a ch- child the lord finally fulfills this and what does the lord bring about we'll turn over to Chapter 21 of Genesis. The Lord, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And you just hang on that word there. If the Lord gives a promise, the Lord will fulfill that promise. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The laughing at first was a laughing of doubt. She laughed incredulously towards the Lord. She laughed as if the Lord couldn't fulfill it. And when the Lord fulfills this, her laughter now was a laughter of joy and trust. It's amazing how the Lord transforms her through this whole thing, and not only does she have her child, but as we read in Hebrews, and if you're in Genesis, you don't need to turn there, I'll, I'll turn there and just simply read, this is what the fulfillment of the promises is, in verse 12, therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. This Sarah receives. That therefore that we see in Hebrews is, Therefore the Lord worked through the faith of both Sarah and Abraham. And so what is the fruit of her faith as she receives the power to conceive? She, she has Isaac, her son. She has posterity that will come from her that, are, that cannot even be named, cannot even be counted. But then also the, another fruit of her faith is commendation. And what does that mean? It means the Lord counts her as righteous. The Lord counts her as one of faith. She is counted as a woman of faith. She is, serves as an example of faith, not only for women to follow, but for all believers to follow in her steps. And what was the ground of her faith? Hebrews tells us this, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. I want you to notice that word since. Let me read it again. Since she considered him faithful. Now, when you see that word since, it almost rests everything upon Sarah. So, why did the Lord bless her? The word since, or it could also be translated because, seems to put the cause of blessing upon Sarah, as if she merited God's favor. However, that's not what is being said. The Lord blesses her according to His promise, but it is received through faith. It is received through faith. She receives the blessing. And this helps us to understand something that is that, that, that is incomprehensible, really, but is presented in Scripture. It helps us to understand God's decree. God's promises, and the role of faith in receiving what God has decreed. God is eternal. God is unchangeable. God doesn't learn. God does not change. So God's plan is an eternal plan that's an unchanging plan. If it's not then God has learned something, God has changed. And if God has changed, any sort of change means one's evolving to something better or devolving to something less. So it's important to understand that the immutability, the unchangeability of God, and that His decree, His plan, is an eternal plan. But yet it requires faith. It requires faith. John Owen, the great Puritan, says this, quote, The mercy here spoken of concerning a son unto Abraham by Sarah his wife was absolutely decreed. It was absolutely promised. So notice what Owen is saying. Owen is saying this is part of the eternal plan of God. It is an eternal promise of God, which means it will happen. It must happen. It cannot not happen because God has eternally decreed it. But Owen goes on to say, yet God indispensably requires faith in them for the fulfilling of that decree and the accomplishment of that promise. You notice what Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The Father has decreed that according to his eternal, immutable plan. But it comes through those that come. So when we read this, since she trusted, it's not a statement that she merited God's favor or merited God's grace, because that would mean then she had earned God's favor by works of the law. And when you read of this account in Romans, we see that no one is saved by works of the law. In Romans chapter 4, verse 14, or excuse me, yeah, verse 14, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So she doesn't merit this, but rather it is by grace through faith. In fact, Abraham's faith is stated in This chapter of Romans, beginning in verse 19, it says, He, this is speaking of Abraham, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So what have we seen? We have seen both in Abraham, we have seen in Sarah, trying to go about fulfilling this promise in different ways. And when we look at Sarah specifically, didn't she doubt? Yes. She had doubts. She did not act upon just pure trust, but rather laughed at the Lord and then tried to hide it from the Lord. And the Lord rebuked her. And what's amazing as the story progressed is when the Lord rebuked her, her mind shifted from what was was promised And the impossibility of a child, her mind shifted from those things that seemed intangible and could not possibly happen. And and she shifted to the promise giver himself. Rather than thinking about the impossibility of it, her mind shifts to God. Her thoughts of God and the one who who promised to bring a child removed the obstacles of age, barrenness, and doubt, and it removed the obstacles that stood in her way of just simply following the Lord when she turned her mind to the Lord. And so the direct object of her faith, and this is what's important, is not in the things themselves, but rather in the one who gives his word. And this is the ground of her faith. It was the ground of Noah's faith. It was the ground of Abraham's faith. It is the ground of your faith. The word of God. And God's promise to Sarah stands in opposition to human reason, yet, by God's grace, she relied upon the word of God, resting upon his promises. Let me just say, if, if you ever struggle with God's Word, and you read something that, boy, that, how, how could that possibly be? Let me just encourage you to shift your eyes to the one who promised it. That's exactly what Sarah did. Instead of looking at the fact that she was 90, couldn't have children, never had children, and there's supposed to be a child, she shifts her eyes to the promise giver. If you ever ask the question, as we think of Sarah, how much faith must I have to be saved? Well, how much faith did Sarah have? When you contrast her with what it says of Abraham, it says of Abraham, he never wavered. Although you you see these moments in, in Abraham's life where he tries to take matters into his own hands. How much faith do you need to be saved? How great is your faith? And are you resting on how great your faith is to be saved? If you're resting on how great your faith is to be saved, you're going to be very discouraged in your Christian walk. I think we look at the mother of the faithful, Sarah, and I think she becomes one of the most encouraging saints of the entire Bible. Thomas Manton said this, weak faith is accepted. A spark shall not be lost, but blown up into a flame and greater increase. The empty hand of faith is all we offer. You know, and the reality is, is that if we're, we're honest with ourselves and we, we know this to be true, our, our typical experience in the Christian life is where it's mixed with doubt and belief. In fact, Scripture teaches us this resides in the same soul at the same time, doesn't it? Think of what Paul writes in Galatians chapter five, verse seventeen, where he says, "For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you wanted to do." Peter says that. Paul writes about that in Romans seven of this struggle that is inherent in mankind at the same time until we are glorified. And I think this is the greater one's faith. Likely, it's more pronounced that the doubt will be in their heart. But what we see in Sarah and what we see in every Christian is this. The Christian perseveres by God's grace through faith. Sarah's not marked by a moment where she laughed at the Lord. The final analysis is that she was a woman of faith, saved by the blood of Christ. You know there's there's several points we need to observe but th- that is this, the faith of a Christ follower is one that survives. It doesn't mean that one's faith is always spectacular and fantastic. But it does mean this, as a Christian, will survive as a Christian. A Christian will persevere. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. We see that of Sarah. We see that of Abraham. We see that of Noah. All of the saints of the Old Testament demonstrate a very true Humanness. You know, we, we sometimes say, well, we shouldn't, they're not there just for models and examples, but actually they are. We see in them that are, they're, they're truly sinful people that doubt, that, that take matters into their own hands, and they, they struggle, they, they lie to the Lord, yet they persevere. They keep marching forward despite these setbacks, despite the seasons that they faced of struggles with their faith. They they continue to go forward. And so it's this po- simple point is the faithful endure to the end. It's not that Christians don't fail. They do fail, but they recover. Praise God. You see, it's easy to follow Sarah's fault of mocking the Lord and lying to the Lord, but it's not easy to emulate her repentance. And that's the point. You think of Peter who failed but recovered. You think of David who failed but recovered. You think of you and I will and have failed, but the question is, will we recover? That's the mark of truly being saved. And there's a second point is faith is subject to growth. Faith is subject to growth. In fact, Paul tells the church of Thessalonica because your faith is growing abundantly. And I just want to ask how is it that Sarah's faith grew through adversity? Her faith grew through adversity, through impossible situations that mere humanity could not overcome, that that human ingenuity could not overcome. But rather, it was God working in her that she overcame. She looked to the Lord. So when we find God's word or his promises to be an obstacle to what we see, to what we know, and what we experience Let us shift our eyes to him who has given us his word. And by that our faith grows. There's a third thing, perhaps the most important, and that is Sarah's conception of Isaac is not only the fulfillment of God's promise to her, but it's a prefigurement of a greater birth that would be supernatural. Actually, it is a picture of the virgin birth. We continually see through the Old Testament, into the Old Testament, the Lord opens the womb, whether it was with Samson or it was Ruth or into the Hannah or into the New Testament, Elizabeth. And all of these extraordinary acts are, are leading us and looking forward to and pointing us to a manger in Bethlehem where the eternal Son of God would take upon flesh. And would live a perfect life. And who would die upon a cross. Who would rise from the dead and ascend to the right hand of majesty. And currently reigns until he returns again. All of these supernatural births are pointing to the one and the greatest birth that was promised the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head let me ask you this do you ever struggle with that do you ever struggle with that our society mocks that a virgin birth rather virgin conception we don't see that we don't experience that Let me just say this, is turn your eyes to the one who promised it. The Lord fulfilled his promises through weak persons, not so much because of them, but because of him who is faithful by his grace. If we ever struggle with doubt, let me me give you the words of Luther. If you would trust God, you must learn to crucify the question, how? Good words for us. But let us look to the eye, look, we'll turn our eyes to the one who promises us salvation through the miraculous birth of the one that would come, die on a cross for sins, and rise in vindication. Let us turn our eyes to him and trust in him. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and that in him we have salvation. We thank you for the complete salvation, the joy of salvation, and the peace of salvation found in him alone. Father, open our eyes to your word and the glorious truths of us. May our hearts be receptive of your word. And we thank you for the example of Sarah and how we can relate to her as she was one who doubted and struggled. Oh, how we struggle and doubt as our pilgrimage in this life as well. May we be encouraged and lean upon your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.